Sunday, Marco Simone in Italy. The United States tried to claw back from a five-point deficit, but it was not to be. The Ryder Cup returning to the Europeans when Tommy Fleetwood secured the clinching point over Ricky Fowler with a conceded putt on 16, with Europe ultimately winning 16 and a half to 11 and a half. And the celebration began almost immediately, went from the golf course to the press center to the team bus to who knows where else as Europe won the Ryder Cup for the seventh straight time on home soil. A full breakdown is coming up on Golf Today. Golf Today. What a week for European Ryder Cup captain Luke Donald and the Europeans as they hold serve winning 16 and a half to 11 and a half and capturing the 44th Ryder Cup. Do you have a feeling the celebration went long into the night? A lot of sleep deprived Europeans relishing what they were able to do at Marcus Simone Golf and Country Club in Rome. And what a spectacle it was as we welcome you into this two hour edition of Golf Today. I'm George Savarikis. Sitting alongside Damon Hack, it's the rare week that we see in men's professional golf where you have a true road and home environment and the atmosphere around the game transcends what we see most weeks in professional golf. You delivered in spades, George. I thought as an event, as a television sporting event, it delivered passion, controversy, great golfers, athletes excelling at the height of their power. John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler you know, trading, you know, haymakers in Sunday singles. The passion of Rory McIlroy on the golf course and in the car park. The passion of Joe LaCava, a New York Giants football fan who maybe stepped out of his lane a little bit but was caught up in a team environment moment. It was compelling. It was captivating. And as a golf fan, I loved every second. It was uh, a, a great watch, but it lacked its fair share of drama with the Americans once again being behind the eight ball early in Europe and then trying to overcome a deficit that was ultimately insurmountable. The uh, American stalwarts came up short. We thought the, the big name Americans would have to be the guys that would really spur them on if they were going to end that drought, stretching back 30 years to the last American victory on European soil. Conversely, thought the uh, young Europeans and the changing dynamics in this squad, so many question marks even 60, 90 days ago on who the 12-man would be for Europe. Now it appears that nucleus headlined by John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, and Victor Hovland. It's going to be this uh, European era where, hey, I, I mean, on paper, you stack it 1 through 12. Not much different yeah. talent-wise. And with what Europe has just been able to do in protecting European soil, and they have the most recent road victories in the Ryder Cup, but it's crazy to think, Damon, it's more than a decade ago. The last time someone won on road soil was the Europeans in 2012. Has become a bit of a home-and-home home series. I'm not sure if that's good necessarily for the Ryder Cup, but I'll tell you this, what happens in 2025 at Bethpage, should the Europeans win or should the Americans find a way to win in a dare manner in 2027? That victory, I think, should count tenfold. <laughs> Because that's where this series is going. But I think this is a reminder that the Europeans, at least at this point, 
are a step ahead. Doesn't mean the Americans don't care about the Ryder Cup, but it just seems like the Europeans find a way to bond in a bit of an easier way. They have the more tangible, talismanic figures. A poster of Seve Ballesteros in the team room. Where is the American talismanic figure over the last 30, 40 years for this team? Hard to find. Is it Tiger? Is it Phil? Lanny Watkins, maybe? I just think that it's harder for this American squad, as great a friendship as they have, and the great bonding that, to a man, they said this team had, there's just a small element missing. And maybe it becomes a big element when you're a European tour, now the DP World Tour, who finds a way, no matter what the OWGR says about the quality of the players, to play the underdog role to a hilt. They do it most expertly at home. I think I might have an idea on what the difference is, and we're going to get that get to that in just a little bit on golf today because there's a mentality difference mm. between the Europeans and the Americans. The, the final margin, this is the closest Ryder Cup dating back to 2014. They have all been blowouts, 16.5 to 11.5. Your final margin, it had exciting elements but it really never got that close where the ultimate result was in doubt. Yeah, Tommy Fleet would gain that concession on 16 against Ricky Fowler, but you could say this was a win some two years in the making. It's just been a wave of emotions, uh, you know, from really asking myself if I could do this. And, yeah. uh, just proud, proud, proud moment for me. And... Uh, can't wait to celebrate with the guys. Was there ever a doubt if you could do it? Yeah, you always doubt yourself, but I've, uh, a lot of my career, I've, I've backed myself pretty much as well. So, and I had faith in these 12 guys. Is this the proudest moment of your career? Yep, absolutely, 100%, sorry. Don't apologize. This is Ryder Cup Europe. We know what it means to you and your 12 men. Can you try and put into words what Ryder Cup Europe is made of? You know, they, they play for more than themselves this week. They come together. We, we share special moments, special memories, and uh, it makes it that much sweeter to, to come out on top. A summary of everything you've achieved in your career as an individual. There was nothing like coming together as a team, but what does the Ryder Cup mean to you in your heart and your gut? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't get emotional about any other event apart from this. It is truly the best event in golf, bar none. <clears throat> and, and, you know, I said this last time, but any little boy or girl that's aspiring to play professional golf. This is the pinnacle. This is what you want to get to. This is pure competition. This is the best. And um, I hope anyone that is a great golfer gets to experience what we're experiencing right now. I mean, how do you not get choked up seeing Luke Donald and what it means to him? A guy who ascended to the highest of highs in professional golf, was world number one for a period of time, says this is the proudest he's ever been. And he didn't hit a single shot this week as the captain for Team Europe in the 44th Ryder Cup. The results dating back to 2014. You remember what happened in 2014? Americans lost 16 and a half and 11 and a half. There was a task force after that saying we need to reconfigure the American approach. We have fallen behind the Europeans. We've been unable 
to get it done on European soil. The players need more input. We need to, a systematic overhaul. The Americans have come no closer come from a margin standpoint to winning in Europe since the formation of the task force. It's been blowouts each direction. Yeah, but the Americans have made strides since 2014. I think it would be unfair to say that the work that has been put in post Glen Eagles has been in vain. But I still think in this edition of the Ryder Cup specifically that it was an accumulation of factors. It wasn't one factor. It was maybe a bunch of factors. Maybe it was the fact that, you know what, nine of the 12 Americans went on the scouting trip. Obviously, Jordan Spieth having a second child, understandable. Cantlay and Shoffley not there. Conversely, 12 Europeans compete at Wentworth two weeks before. Don't just compete. They play great. Mm -hmm. They play out of their mind. The 12 men. Justin Rose says gave them a chance to not just bond, but to play practice rounds together and to truly kind of be able to complete each other's sentences. That's maybe part of it as well. Oh, and wait, look at the foursomes record that we've seen really from time memorial 2014, 2018, this year as well. The Americans have suffered mightily when it comes to the alternate shot format. They got blown out on Friday morning. It was in the afternoon in Paris and they got blown out. It was in the afternoon in Scotland, and they got blown out in foursomes as well. That's a part of it. And also just the more natural way that the Europeans seem to bond just shows itself. I still think that it's almost like an individual aspect that the, the Americans are trying to put to the side. And I think they are able to do it from time to time. But clearly, whether it's the football, I'm talking soccer mentality, that the Europeans grow up with, they just more easily blend. They more easily gel. Doesn't mean that this American team didn't gel and didn't bond and didn't love each other, but I think it just doesn't come as naturally or as easy as it does to the Europeans. Damon, you and I have been working for this company for a long time now. And I remember 2014 Ryder Cup sitting on a desk after and saw the Americans are in disarray. There's fracture in the press room. Then they went in 2016 at Hazeltine. The Americans have it. They've discovered it. They have this new formula. Everything's hunky-dory. Americans are going to dominate going forward. They get blown out again in 2018. Ah, oh, the captain's picks were a disaster. It is just, I don't think the average golf fan realizes it is so hard to win on the road in a Ryder yeah, Cup. Yeah. It is not just in golf. In all of sports, we're so used to, okay, a road team, if you're a good team, you have a legitimate shot of winning on the road. Could be a 30 40% chance, whatever it is. 1993, the last time the Americans won on yes. the road. Twice since the turn of the century has a road team won in the Ryder Cup. Only two times since 2000. That was Europe in 2004 and 2012. So when we dissect what are the issues, that has to be the context at the front. Extremely difficult test yeah. to win on the road. I say that, though. The buy-in from top Europeans has been pervasive, not just with this young core, but going back 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And I thought the comments that you heard Sunday night, and let's take a listen now from John Rahm, Justin Rose, breaking down the European mentality, really crystallized their approach. We're united by a, a culture. We're united by the, a generation of players that have come before us. And this is our time. You know, Luke's been very clear on that message. This is our time to shine, but it's our time to shine not because this is our stage. We are just 
taken care of it because of the amazing role models that we have before us that have shown us how to do it. You know, I feel there's a really strong culture in the European team. A good pairing in the European team doesn't mean playing with your best mate. You know, it means about representing something bigger than yourself. And I feel like that's, for me, what being a European Ryder Cup player is all about. Obviously, I don't have as much experience in Ryder Cups as Rosie and, and Rory have. But, I mean, I think they, they nailed it. Uh, is the ability to walk through those gates or through the doors and forget about who you are outside this week, right? What you've done or you may do afterwards really, truly doesn't matter. Um, in my case, obviously, this, this certain Spanish legacy to live up to that is, is certainly not easy, right? The, the three main figures before me, Sevioli and Sergio, are three guys that, if I'm not mistaken, all three of them have earned over 20 points in the Ryder Cup. Um, three out of nine are Spanish, right? So it's, it's a lot to live up to, and it's something that really inspires me, especially when, when Jose is around, right? He's always telling me, you know, little things to to inspire me in that sense. Uh, so following on their footsteps and how they try to make the team better is, is the way I've approached it as well uh, and try to do my part in the team room. Almost reflexive memory and on the back end of this we'll react to, to both sides. I wanted to juxtapose that with the U.S. pairing that we saw with Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth. They went 4-1-2 in 2014 and 2016 Ryder Cups as partners. In 2018, they split. Jordan wanted to play with his buddy Justin Thomas, and after the fact, Patrick Reed said the issues obviously with Jordan not wanting to play with me. I don't have any issue with Jordan when it comes right down to it. I don't care if I like the person I'm paired with or if the person likes me, as long as it works and sets the team up for success. He and I know how to make each other better. We know how to get the job done. Jordan Spieth had said after the fact, and this was that bad loss in France, Jordan played with his buddy Justin Thomas for the first time. I grew up with Justin. He's one of my best friends in the entire world. Grew up since we were 13 together. We've been the biggest fans of each other through junior golf, winning major championships, being number one in the world. Obviously, I want to play with him. Like, this would be awesome. So since then, they've been partners. It's the buy-in top-down. With the Europeans, they will play with anyone 1 through 12 on the team because yeah. the ultimate goal is to beat the Americans. The Americans now have been gravitating, seemingly as an outsider, because we're not in the team room, towards comfort and camaraderie, and they want to play with someone they're buddies yeah. with. And you hear stuff like that that comes out after the 2018 Ryder Cup. You never hear that on the European side, ever. When they lose a Ryder Cup, you don't hear about fractures or guys didn't want to play with so-and-so or they have a do-not playlist or they only want to play with their buddy. Justin Rhodes said it best. I don't care if we're friends with the guy. We'll play with whoever sets us up to win. So I think you have total buy-in there. I think for the Americans, while the camaraderie may have been great, I don't know that you have the same level of buy-in. Well, that's the thing. I don't mind if, if Jordan and Justin want to play together or Scotty and Sam want to play together so long as it's just for the betterment of the team. Mm -hmm. And that's why Seve and Faldo could be fierce rivals. And believe me, they were inside the ropes. But for that one week in the fall when they were asked to represent that European crest, they did so beautifully. And all of those little petty things were put aside and same with Rom and Rory this week and you have to wonder I mean that's why the Tiger Phil pairing blew up in 2004 and gave Europeans such great fuel back in 2004 at Oakland Hills it just doesn't it just does not pair as easily those egos that John Rom said that the Europeans are able to put aside for that week you don't remember who you are you it's like it's almost like uh, you know the Will Smith waving the wand and men in black 
You walk into that team room, and who you are doesn't matter. And after the Ryder Cup, then you can deal with what's to come. But for those three days and for that week together as a team, you are one of 12 and 12 for one. And I think the Americans had a great time. And I do believe that they're bonding and getting better and closer. But you're right. And it's a great soundbite that you pulled because the, Amer the Americans seem to be a step or two behind when it comes to really being able to sublimate your ego for the betterment of the team. And maybe, you know, that maybe the Europeans are able to do that and the Americans don't have that, that ability. Like, where's Lanny? Where's Curtis? Where's Larry Nelson? You know, the guys that, that, that Justin talks about and that Sevy and that, that John Rom talk about, Ollie, Ollie's walking around the team room. A literal European Ryder Cup legend is walking around that room. And for the Americans, it seems like there's just more buddies walking around that room. And it's just harder. Listen, you want to be and comfortable and you want to be happy. It's just harder, I think, for the Americans. And that's what's been thrown around with the Americans. There's a buddy system. And that happens to fall in line with then you see the names that are captain's picks. And what happened when they did bring Tom Watson? Back, he, he was too much uh, of a, of an old school well, and that guy. That was the overcorrection. And if you look at the captain's picks now, and that's been the same issue even with Tom Watson in 2014, yeah. 2018, 2023, the captain's picks have played horrendous. They went four, 12, and four. Six of them are picked by U.S. captain Zach Johnson. Yeah. So that is partially a failing of the captain. He picked guys that are good in the team room. A lot of these guys are major champions. They have good pedigrees. There are maybe a couple picks that were were on the fence of people saying, okay, well, what about a Keegan Bradley, a Lucas, Lucas Glover, um, uh, Cam Young, who yeah. was ninth in the standings. The, the live people were banging the drum for what Bryson did later in the year where he wasn't even really yeah, part of the gosh. conversation. No, yeah. no, no, I'm just saying, though. <laughs> no, they did. They no, did. no, for sure. But... You, then you see the guys who weren't picked, and it's like, okay, well, were they in or out on the yeah. buddy system? Are, are we hearing more of that of the guys who have sour grapes, or is there some validity to it? We're not, again, we're not in the team room. We don't know. It, it just seems like there is less cohesion yeah. generationally yeah. than what we see and on by the degrees. Side. And this is by degrees. Yeah. And I think it's a many-tentacled octopus that we're talking about. It's not one reason why Europe is victorious uh, on this Monday. I think it's many, many factors, and the U.S. has to kind of figure out a way to close that gap, especially when they're flying overseas. Still more to come on golf today. It's, it's not often we get, you know, drama in the golf world for what happens inside the ropes. We've had all this noise in the golf world. What's happening to the game of professional golf going forward? Things got chippy on Saturday. Hold your hats. We're going to have that on the other side of the short break. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. 
Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. And one man who was practically in the middle of that scrum on Saturday evening, our own Todd Lewis, joins us now from Italy. Tilo, from your perspective, what happened on that 18th green on Saturday evening? Well, I want to go back prior to the 18th green and Patrick Cantley throughout his match because of that report that was on social media that Cantley was not wearing a hat because he was protesting not getting paid to play or participate in the Ryder Cup. Some fans were waving their hats at him throughout the entire match, it seemed like. And Roy McIlroy was trying to do his best from a competitive uh, perspective to calm the crowd down as Patrick was about to hit a shot or try to attempt to putt. So we get to that 18th green, and we saw Patrick hits that incredible putt, um, and he starts giving it back to the fans a bit, and so did Joe LaCava, his caddy. And I feel like Joe got a, a little bit into the moment, maybe a bit too much, and kind of walked close to Rory, and they said something to each other. And then I, I believe personally that Joe was just intense at that moment. And then Roy obviously had a putt to make to tie the hole, um, but he didn't make it. Now, my immediate thing I wanted to watch after that exchange was how did Joe LaCava and Roy McIlroy respond to each other during the handshake? Now, they shook each other's hands. There was a bit of friction, no doubt about it, but they seemed to talk it through. I watched Roy McIlroy put his arm on the shoulder of Joe LaCava, and I thought things were settled. Then he came over and started talking to some of the European tour players specifically Shane Lowry, and Shane was like, come on, Joe. And again, there was a little bit of friction there. Joe, we get it. We got it at Whistling Straits two years ago. The crowd's going to give it here to you. That's just part of the Ryder Cup. And Joe said back to him, he's like, look, I was just having fun. I'm quoting here. We're getting our ass kicked, and I just wanted to give it back to the crowd. Uh, and so they kind of worked it out there. They laughed about it. Justin Rose actually said to Joe LaCava, we thought it was pretty funny that you waved the hat back. Um, but I thought things were done on that green, but obviously, as Rory mentioned in his press conference yesterday, the European team went back into their team room, had a discussion about it, and it got pretty fiery. And that's why Rory McIlroy walked out into the parking lot, and the first American he saw was Jim Bones Mackay, and he, of course, let it go there, his frustrations to Bones. He knows Bones is really good friends with Joe LaCava. Uh, he, he, he apologized later to, to, to Bones because he was just letting out his frustrations and that was the first American he saw. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's still a bit tense as to what happened Saturday and I think it fueled many of the players, specifically Roy McIlroy on Sunday. Look, I think Joe LaCava and Roy McIlroy, they're great competitors, but obviously it, they got caught up in, a, in an intense moment. They are great people as well. They respect each other. And just as Roy McIlroy said, I think with time that this is they're going to come together. They're going to talk about it and bury this and what happened at Marco Simone and move forward. Todd, are you surprised that Patrick Cantley became such an important subplot over the weekend at the Ryder Cup? Um, I, I can tell you from that report that came out that I, I spoke with a number of players and, of course, Zach Johnson, the captain of the United States team, and I asked him, has he been divisive in the locker room? And Zach Johnson said, absolutely not. He's not only committed, but he's also a leader on, on this team. Um, and I talked to several players, and they said, yeah, Patrick is right in the middle of everything. He did skip the gala dinner earlier in the week. He was having some neck problems throughout the week, couldn't allow him to sleep. And Zach Johnson said, hey, come take the group picture with us, which he and his fiance at the time did. 
uh, but he did not attend the dinner, nor did Ricky Fowler. He was under the weather uh, with a sinus uh, issue. Uh, so they were both excused. So it wasn't like he was trying to p- protest or didn't want to be there. Um, I'm actually surprised he played as well as he did. I, I knew weeks ago, Patrick t- uh, and his team told me that he is getting married today, the Monday after the Ryder Cup. And, and guys, like, like I, when I was getting married, um, <laughs> I, not only is it a huge life-changing event, but you got to make sure all the centerpieces are right, the band is good, the bar is, is set. I mean, there's a lot going on in your mind. I was concerned that he, wouldn't just, he was just going to be so distracted he wouldn't play well. But obviously – he stepped up and, and played very well, especially on Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah, and Patrick Cantlay, I, I think he was a big part uh, of that fight that the United States team had over the weekend. Well, Todd, the report that, that came out on Twitter from Jamie Weir of Sky Sports was that Patrick was protesting because he wants to get paid. Does he want to get paid for participating in the Ryder Cup? It's interesting. When he was asked in his press conference, do you think you should get paid? He really kind of deflected. He didn't answer. I I have a good feeling that Patrick looks at the Ryder Cup and he sees the 45 to 50,000 people there. He understands the corporate hospitality, which is three levels at Marco Simone. He he understands the media rights deals and he's playing for free. And, And I have a feeling he's not the only one that feels that way. And this is not a new subject. This this three decades ago, uh, this was brought up in regards to should players get play, uh, paid for the Ryder Cup. Now, there is a lot of money that goes to each individual player's charity. Um, there is a percentage of the revenue that goes to the PGA Tour um, that ultimately benefits the tour and pension funds for the players. Um, you know, I mean, I, I kind of somewhat see their perspective because somebody's making a lot of money off the Ryder Cup. The DP World Tour, large majority of their revenue um, to function uh, is is coming off the Ryder Cup. But at the same time, there is ultimately you're playing for patriotism and playing for teams. That's historically what this is about. Ian Poulter has made a career, a lot of money off of what he's done in the Ryder Cup. I just think that this is the way that the golf society at the highest level has become, not everybody, but some of them. It It used to be, hey, I'm winning for, or excuse me, I'm playing to win tournaments and money is a byproduct. I feel like for you know, you know, the advent of live golf and the $20 million purses that are out there. There's some, there's some out there that feel like I'm, I'm playing for money first and, and we'll see what happens after that. So, I mean, it's going to be a discussion. I think over the next few weeks, you're going to hear a lot about playing for pay in the Ryder cup in regards to players. Well, and Todd, we see that in the president's cup guys get paid there. And then it seems like the Ryder cup, they use this cloak of patriotism as to why the players shouldn't get paid yet in every other aspect of golf when it's played at the highest level guys are getting compensated for what they do inside the ropes yeah i mean it's a delicate balance Uh, i mean you know you're going to it's a tough spot for players uh look first of all these every one of those players that played at the Ryder cup if 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 they stop playing golf today they're set for life. I mean, they got plenty of money, um, but uh, there's there are a few out there, and again, some of some of it I kind of understand. That feels like they are being that they are being used as pawns in in for profit in, by for profit entities, and it's it's not right. I mean, I look, it's a very challenging discussion amongst players, and again, it's it's not every player feels like that they should get paid, but there are a few, and it, and I'm interested to see if this conversation grows over the next few weeks, months, or years 
in future Ryder Cups. So it was the Patrick Cantlay story and then his partner and good friend Xander Shoffley report in the Times of London that Xander's father said that Xander nearly lost his spot on the team because of a player participation agreement. What can you tell us? You know, I, I read that story. I don't know a lot about exactly what was going on there. I did. I do know that there was a big discussion in regards to Netflix and the full swing. This is the documentary series. This is the second year of that. Um, and there were several players that did not want those cameras inside the team room. Uh, I can tell you, Scotty Scheffler feels uncomfortable having them uh, around him so much. Uh, it's, and I get it. it it's 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 a person's own prerogative, you know, what they want to reveal and what they want to keep private. Um, but again, I think this goes back to to players wanting to make sure that they have some fight and control as to what is going on in their media, what is going on in regards to who's making money off of them. Um, so you know, it, it's definitely a discussion and one that you can understand that players and agents can have with with governing bodies moving forward. Todd, a long week at the Ryder Cup and a long season. Hopefully you have a couple days to have some me time and relax in Italy. Thanks for the time. You got it, Che Brigo. <laughs> <laughs> that scene on Saturday evening at Marco Simone was like something from a different sport. When I first moved to New York in the year 2000, I worked for Newsday, Long Island. That's the heart of Bethpage Black, Farmingdale, mm -hmm. Hicksville, you know, Syosset, Massapequa, Wontaw. The American golf fan from Long Island that is going to be, you know, animated and all over Bethpage, I mean, that's why uh, the, the atmosphere, it's, it's going to be wild. I just wonder, I mean, this is sports. The Ryder Cup is as big as golf gets in terms of rubbing elbows with Yankees, Red Sox, and, and Jets, Patriots. I mean, it just feel. I mean, this is, but I, I felt it elevated the event. I was on the edge of my seat watching Patrick without his hat in La Cava, who he often wears a Saquon Bartley T-shirt underneath his caddy bib. But I tell you what, New York is going to be absolutely off the hook, in part because of the scenes that we saw this past week in Rome. Does it do a disservice to golf fans that there isn't parity in this event, or is that part of the atmosphere the home team being able to manipulate, set up to benefit them. Is that a positive? Or should there be a, a, a neutral party that sets up the court? You don't want it to be over on Friday. You want some competition and compelling storylines into the week. And I think we had it. The Americans played them basically to a draw after it the first It was 10-10 day. after Friday. Absolutely. So I just think it will make that victory, whether it comes for the United States in Europe or the Europeans in the United States and possibly New York, it would make that victory that much sweeter, that much better, that much more compelling, and bring this biennial event closer and closer to what we all love about sports in general. I've talked with a couple buddies who had played in the NFL and said, oh, what most memorable wins that they had? Is it in front of a... They said, no, if you're at a road stadium and you hear 70,000 people go silent, there's nothing more powerful than sucking the air out mm. of the environment. So to your point, we're already saying, hey, we want to try and we're already yeah. ready to win at yeah. Beth Page. If and when that happens for the Europeans or Americans and you're in that atmosphere with that theater and you have the whole crowd go silent. Oh, you're a pin drop. <laughs> it's the powerful. Athletes live for moments like that. Folks, when golf today rolls on, more reaction on the victorious European side this past weekend's Ryder Cup. What was the key to Europe's preparation for victory? You heard the answer. Coming up next.
At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Now to a man who had a front row seat all week at the Ryder Cup. Sky Sports analyst Andrew Coulter, uh, 1999 European Ryder Cupper himself. Andrew, we just heard Justin Rose detailing the European preparation leading up to the Ryder Cup. Ultimately, was preparation what decided the Ryder Cup? Yeah, I think it played a large part, George. Um, you know, it was only two weeks prior they were still playing in the flagship event competitively on the on the DP World Tour, the BMW PGA Championship. You know, I mentioned there later on in the week that uh, at least nine of the 12 uh, had had a month away from competitive practice. I don't know any other sport where you're trying to uh, achieve the ultimate accolade that, that you would ever contemplate doing that. Uh, so they were, in effect, competitively uh, well-fed, competitively well-watered. They were hungry. They also played little three-hole matches amongst one another because of the importance to get off to a fast start. There was a tremendous amount of cohesion, respect for the for the captain. And, you know, we got off to that fast start this time, as opposed to what happened in 2021. Um, our top players managed to pitch up to the party and we got off to those fast starts and you add all that thing, to, thing together. We got the momentum and never looked back. Andrew Zach Johnson, known as one of the more meticulous, deep thinkers, grinders that the game has ever known a U.S. Ryder Cup captain, and yet you called the preparation by the Americans disgraceful. Was it more about a function of the schedule working out for the Europeans to the point where they had their flagship event two weeks ahead of time? Everybody was there. Everybody played well, as opposed to the, the U.S. schedule, as it were, the PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoffs ending five weeks before with most of their hot players having that time off. Yeah, sure, Damon. But, uh, you know, they're all top 50 players in the world. They're all exempt for the BMW PGA Championship. This is the Ryder Cup. Do they want to win it or don't they want to win it? You know, are, are, you, are you happy sitting on your couch back at home, getting yourself fat on food rather than getting yourself primed, ready to go out there and play? Come on. You know, just because just because the season finishes over there on the PGA Tour, when you've got something that's as competitive and something that creates as much you know, uh, notoriety as, as as the Ryder Cup, you're actually seriously going to take four weeks off, put your feet up and not get yourself mentally, physically prepared for the challenge of the Ryder Cup. I mean, you know, nobody's stopping them from flying. They've all got to fly private jets. They can jump in a plane, come over here, play the BMW PGA Championship if they were serious, take a week off, take the family around Rome and then, and then get, uh, you know, get get warmed up for the uh, for the event. What about 2018? The, the Americans, they finished in Atlanta. Tiger Woods wins. The team flies happy, giddy, directly to Paris, and they still get bounced. And that's coming off of the FedEx Cup five years ago. Well, and, and it was the same result, basically. Well, there was another interesting uh, uh, bit talking to Claude Harmon, who, after he spoke to Brooks, when Brooks uh, won his singles yesterday, he said he played uh, a little bit more or less aggressively. 
you know, what, it just seems that uh, quite a few of the American players, and to be fair, this the test isn't required on a on a day, on a weekly basis over there on the PGA Tour, but you know they've got to adapt their strategies to the intended deliberate setup uh, of the, the European captain and what suits the European players, and there seems to be a reticence or reluctance to do that. When you look at Ryder Cup results, I mean, dating back to 2014, it's been road win or it's been home win, home win, home win. The yeah. closest margin. It's been 16 and a half to 11 and a half. So we haven't had any nail biters. Is this just cyclical or is this something that potentially needs to be addressed going forward if we want more more parity uh, for the fans? Yeah, it's a great it's a great point, George. It, it seems to be like that at, at the minute. The You know, the, the um, 13th man, the 15th club, whatever you want to call them, the crowd play a massive part. In, in how the, the match turns out. And that is going to be equally true when we head off over to New York, Bethpage Black in a couple of years' time. It's, it's, it, it's something that is so intense, so out of the ordinary, because it, it, it just galvanises all sports fans throughout the globe that it's a difficult arena to participate in. Normally, there's the respectful golf fans that pitch up on a, on a week-to-week basis, and it's that's a completely different atmosphere. A Ryder Cup is... Something like, unlike anything these players will ever have had before, and it definitely benefits the home side. Um, I don't know what what do, what do we do because it, it plays such a massive part of the atmosphere. It's great. Uh, it will be intimidating in two years' time. The European team will have to be uh, prepped and, and and ready to to deal with that because that nowadays is part and parcel of of the Ryder Cup. But uh, it plays a massive part. It's it's better if the games are obviously. A lot tighter. I think. I think the, this game would have been an awful lot tighter had there just not been as much rust in in the games of the of the American team. Andrew, clearly the American team is in a better place than it was in 2014, following Glenn Eagles, the birth of the task force. But in your mind, has there been an overcorrection, perhaps, on the American side? Too much focus on a buddy system as opposed to doing whatever is possible, personalities aside, to come together? Maybe just trailing Europe in that regard at this point. Yeah, that's interesting, David. I think, look, first and foremost, the, the U.S. side was much more affected by the move of some players over, over to live. There's, there's no disputing that. You know, Dustin Johnson last time got five, five points. You know, that, that would have been, his presence would have been massive. But, you know, that's... That, that that couldn't happen. Uh, obviously, Deshambo has obviously played some incredible golf of late. That that couldn't happen. So you were you were you were hit with that. Um, I, I, yes, I think you know Justin goes on in that presser to to talk about it. It's not necessarily about playing with your best buddy. You know, the twelve players on the European team will will play with whoever their captain determines is fit, and they'll and they'll do it gladly and put their arm around one another and give it their absolute best. I also think. There's a little bit of an over reliance on on stats, and I'm and I'm a stat man. I love the numbers, but you know how d- the stats are very difficult to work. Uh, foursomes in particular, uh, how how you shape that off. I get when the stats are measured throughout a season around the same golf courses, how you can determine who's going to play well in certain venues. But if if they don't have a, a, a large database of how players have performed around the Ryder Cup course, then those stats are going to be slightly skewed. Then you factor in the complete 
scope and size of a Ryder Cup, the pressure, the tension, the final realization of what's at stake. And if you if you right at the beginning actually thought you you were big enough and strong enough to hit that opening tee shot, you can just collapse and completely change your mind right at the last minute. And that would then throw everything out of the kilter. So I think there's a bit of an over-reliance on that. It's great for the singles. It helps an awful lot for the singles. But there has to be more of an organic sort of captains and vice-captains hunch as to how players will gel and get together, almost like a plan B. I think, unfortunately, Harrington didn't have that at Whistling Straits. They just went out with the numbers. The numbers said this. The players went out. And if, if as, as Justin says there, they're not on form, then chances are it's going to go against them. You saw a hostile road environment in 1999 when you're on the European Ryder Cup team. That was the amazing American comeback. Europeans had they flipped the script in 2012 with the miracle at Medina. Is it harder now to win on the road than it was, say, in the late 90s or in the 90s? Yeah, I, I think it is. But I got to say, I, I love playing away from home. I just, I loved that. If the more, the sort of more that happened, the more I just wanted to sort of roll my sleeves up and, and get on with it. There was almost less, well, I wouldn't know because I only, I only played away from home, but I always felt there was there would have been more pressure at home because of the expectation that, that, that everybody had on you. Playing away from home, I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. And to be perfectly honest, obviously, because I only got 16 holes in the singles, I wasn't uh, subjected to, to quite a lot of what was going on out the golf course. Not quite as much as Monty did. But it's listen, it is part and parcel of a Ryder Cup now. It's why we're talking about it. It's why it's at the position that it is in the world in sport. But yes, I do agree, George, it is getting harder and harder to deal with those, uh, those incredible crowds. You know, Andrew, Joe LaCava, one of the most well-respected, well-liked caddies to ever do it, the ultimate professional, got pulled into that Saturday evening issue on 18. Can you understand how that happens in a Ryder Cup week where the yeah. caddies, the teams, I mean, this is yeah. a unique week compared to your normal DP World Tour, PGA Tour event where the caddies are a part of the team? Yeah, Absolutely, Damon. And, and, you know, I just want to go and say, listen, uh, Joe, as you all know, is one of the nicest, uh, most lovable guys uh, out there on tour. He's always softly spoken. He, he's always happy to say hello. He's always got a conversation. This is not like him. This is out of character for him. But it's because, again, if you've never been in a situation like this, if you've never experienced what it's like being part of a team, going through the pressure and the turmoil of a situation like that, it's very difficult to contemplate what actually happened. And unfortunately for Joe, he just sort of forgot himself for a second. Uh, he got caught up in the emotion of it all. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's a little bit ups upset that, that that happened. He's certainly not the kind of person that uh, intentionally goes about uh, behaving like that. Not at all. Andrew, great getting the uh, European perspective as the streak now stretches back to 19. 93. It's crazy to think that's the last time the Americans were able to win on European soil. Still more to come here on Golf Today. As we continue on the show, U.S. team couldn't find a way to win on the road for that first time in 30 years. 2027 will be their next crack at it. We're going to hear what was going on inside the U.S. team room on the other side of the short break. Got it on golf today. This was the scene on Sunday at Marcus Smoke Golf and Country Club outside of Rome as the United States team couldn't end their winless drought on foreign soil in the Ryder Cup, stretching back to last century. 
following the loss, the U.S. team room, they spoke about what the vibe was like among the players. The loss that we had this week has absolutely nothing to do with team camaraderie because this is probably the closest best team I've ever been a part of. Um, we unfortunately just didn't play well enough. But um, I mean, kind of like Max said earlier about Sam, I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but I didn't feel like the, the preparation was uh, necessarily the issue. I said it in, before the event. I thought this was the closest team I think I've been on. Um, we got a great group of guys. Like I said, we just this week they just hold a lot more putts, a few more chip ins. Um, but proud of this team. We fought. We fought hard, um, and wouldn't want to do it with any any other group of guys. Maybe it was Brooks. We only we don't see him very often anymore. So <laughs> yeah, it was exciting to see everybody. I feel yeah. like I haven't seen him in a few months. I get to see him a couple times It's because he had a baby, right? Oh yeah. 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 Living it up with a baby. And how about this from Brooks Kepka after the fact, Damon? I make money moves with his smash team gear from Liv and get some of the guys on the squad in front of the captain's office. I thought it was uh, interesting. Yeah, not that sure out. if this is part of the framework agreement or, or what, but uh, interesting sartorial choice for a little segment of Team USA anyway. So with that as the precursor, now let's get to the main event, and that would be uh, Rex Hogger joins us now on the show on golf today and I mean the Americans were behind the eight ball early in this Ryder Cup ultimately trying to play catch up right when we had you know little micro moves where it felt like they could close the gap ultimately just too large a margin what what would you say was the main catalyst for the Americans once again coming up short in Europe I think when they unpack this you know weeks and months from now they'll look back on that Friday I don't think you can come back from that kind of, I called it Black Friday in the column that I wrote. You've never been, the United States has never been swept in the morning session to open the Ryder Cup before. So now all of a sudden you built yourself a hole and it didn't get much better in the afternoon to be five points down after that first session. You're right. They made a game of it. They came back. They fought hard, especially on Saturday afternoon and going into the middle part of Sunday. But when you put yourself in that much of a hole, I think every captain will look back and say, that's what did it. So what's next for the Americans? You know, we've seen the, the task force. We've seen the, the players have a more vocal voice. And, you know, Zach saying, I want to find six players to make this team whole. They weren't whole enough, clearly. So what's next for Team USA? Damon, you and I have spent a lot of time in these types of press conferences. And the second guessing in the hindsight started immediately on Sunday night when it comes to Zach Johnson and that team. You heard part of it right there about preparation was the U.S. team really ready. And I think that's certainly a big part of this, having more than four weeks off between the end of the Tour Championship and the start of the Ryder Cup did not benefit the U.S. team. You only had a handful of players that had any competitive reps at all between then. And I just think it's too long. Jordan Spieth addressed it, that in a perfect world, you can find a way to make sure the Ryder Cup is always a week after the Tour Championship or at most two weeks after the Tour Championship. And it seems to me when we start second-guessing and looking at what can be fixed, I don't know if there's anything a task force or the PGA of America or Team USA can do about Scotty Scheffler's putting or Jordan Spieth's ball striking, but they can look at a calendar and they can make it easier for Team USA. And I think there's some other things that they can probably look at, but it goes to the heart of this. It's really, really hard to win an away Ryder Cup, especially here in Europe. Then they probably need to find some parity there as well. I mean, it's one of the hardest road environments, not just in golf, but in all of professional sports, especially when you look at how long the drought has been 
for the Americans. What's the main difference between either how the Europeans and Americans construct their 12-man teams or how they prepare for the Ryder Cup? Is there something that stands out to you? I think when you look at the Europeans, and, and I've seen a lot this morning, I was kind of reading some of the takes that, that everyone has had. I don't think that Luke Donald was better prepared than Zach Johnson. Actually, if you kind of look at it from 30,000 feet, Zach Johnson had the full two-year cycle, more or less, to prepare and get ready for this week, whereas we all know Luke Donald was kind of put in the job about uh, 13, 14 months ago because Henrik Stinson was removed from the post. I don't think that has anything to do with it. Again, it goes back to the U.S. team clearly wasn't sharp, and that has to do with competitive reps and it not being there. And I think there is something that, that both sides probably need need to look at objectively about trying to come up with some sort of parity. If you look at what's happened, eight out of the last nine Ryder Cups have been won by the home team. And they, they, they probably need to look at some sort of way to make it a little bit closer. And I will argue it got tight for about 45 minutes at Marco Simone on Sunday. And it was a little bit closer than the final court score suggested. But they need to go back to the drawing board and they need to find a way. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with Team USA. And there's certainly nothing wrong with Team Europe. But when you have these huge margins, you have this huge disparity for the home team versus the way team, I don't think that's good for parity. Rex, the Americans want to win the Ryder Cup, but it, sometimes it feels like they want to win as competitors, whereas the Europeans want to win it almost by birth. They have these talismans. To hear, you know, Justin Rose talk about the, the players who came before and, and to hear John Rahm talk about Spain and what Seve, Ali, and Sergio have meant. Who are the American talismanic figures? You know, where's the Lanny? Where's the Larry Nelson? The Tom Watson? Is, is there enough of an American talismanic inspiration to match what the Europeans seem to carry in their soul? I mean, to your point, I have never seen so many posters of Seve anywhere than last week. And, and this is what they've, the European side has done really the last few Ryder Cups. They have made this passion. I thought there was a great picture on social media last night. They actually had a locker for Seve. It was right next to Victor Hovland's locker with a complete uniform and the Ryder Cup sitting in front of it. You're right. They were able to use, to, to ride these emotional waves from the past, whereas the Americans don't seem to have that. I, and I don't know how you rekindle that. I'll go back to, you mentioned the task force at the beginning of that. I, I think whatever happened coming out of Glen Eagles and the creation of the task force and where the United States team is right now was a move in the right direction. But it's only a move in the right direction in as much as they're a generation, maybe two generations, behind the Europeans on this front. I'm not saying it didn't mean anything to the Americans a generation ago, but they, they certainly, the United States certainly does not have those iconic figures you don't see, to your point, Lanny, on the wall of a U.S. team room or Tom Watson. And I think that might be part of the issue as well. Rex, when we analyze captains in a Ryder Cup, generally, I mean, it falls into those two buckets. Whoever the winning captain is made all the right moves, and we then look at his captain's picks and say, oh, the team construct was amazing. The losing captain, it's always, okay, well, his missteps were here. He did a, a, a poor job in X or Y. Like, if you're Zach Johnson, can you have a week where you were a good captain and the players just didn't play well enough, or are you automatically a, a poor captain based on the results? Well, it depends on who you're asking, George. I mean, if you're asking the journalists, of course I'm going to play the result. That's what we do. We sit here, we have to provide content, and this is going to provide months of content. So that's the beauty of the Ryder Cup. I remember having the same feelings when I left the K-Club Ryder Cup. I was kind of semi-embedded 
with the U.S. team. And I saw, thought Tom Lehman had done everything humanly possible to get that team ready, to, to make that team prepared to do what, again, a team had not done in a really long time to win on European soil. And it wasn't even close. He's got absolutely boat race. And in retrospect, I have come to the conclusion that a really, really good captain can make a difference if this is a close match. If we're talking about a half point or a point, then a good captain can make a difference with all the moves they make. I don't know what a captain can do when I go back to Friday, when you have a situation where a team falls so far behind, there's only so much ground you can make up. And in the case of Zach Johnson, I don't know. Everyone said he didn't respond when he got punched in the face. They always get punched in the face. How are they going to respond? I'm not sure there was an easy answer to what happened on Friday. Well, the U.S. have to sit on this for a while until 2025. All roads lead to Beth Page Black Rex. We appreciate the time. Safe travels. We'll speak to you soon. Final tally, 16.5 to 11.5 for Team Europe. Seven straight home wins and a team bus that was rollicking all over Rome. How do the Europeans build their camaraderie, feel so united? You hear more about their team culture on the other side of this break. Now, let's take a look at the Rolex Minute. Yeah, a lot better than whistling straights if you're Victor Hobbin. Ended the PGA Tour season as the hottest man in golf and kept it going in Rome. 3-1-1 one, one overall. Part of that 9-7 and seven Saturday drubbing of Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepler. Also got the better of Colin Morikawa on Sunday and then briefly interrupted his European celebration to chat with Todd Lewis. Well, as you can tell, the party started with Victor Hovland here and his team. Vic, you guys hit some great shots. You played some incredible golf, but it takes more than that to win the Ryder Cup. <laughs> Stand by. You better be careful. I'm good, man. I'm good. They've got dry cleaners. Um, you hit some great shots. This team played some incredible golf, but it takes more than that to win the Ryder Cup. What other ingredients came into play for you guys to bring it back to Europe? Heart and commitment. This team, we, we play for each other and we love each other, and uh, today was just, was just awesome. Um, you know, I, I don't think we could have scripted this week any better. Um, we, we all play for just a common purpose, and we all get each other, we all understand each other, and we all make fun of each other, and uh, it, was just, it was just a great time. You were at Whistling Straits, your first Ryder Cup. I know you were disappointed. How much does that, what happened at Whistling Straits, make this sweeter? Yeah, um, that was my first Ryder Cup, and it, uh, although it was amazing in the team room and, and just being around the guys, it frankly sucked on the golf course. Um, and this time around, I feel like I've obviously improved as a player, and I was able to, to get some points for, for my teammates and for the team and all the fans out there. So um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we could have scripted this any better. Final thing, um, your team has some young players. Ryder Cup Europe, after this performance, looks like it's got a great future. What would you say about the future Ryder Cup Europe team? Yeah, I mean, a year ago, everyone was basically writing us off, um, saying, okay, there's, there's no chance of who's going to fill the other guys' spots. And uh, I think we proved today that we have a lot of talent coming behind us and 
we're going to be a force to reckon with in uh, in multiple Ryder Cups in the future. So uh, I'm I'm super pumped. I think you're going to be a force to be reckoned with tonight in this party. Have fun. <laughs> I think all right? so too. <laughs> Congratulations, Vic. All right. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. All right, folks, much more coming on this Monday edition. <laughs> I had to oh, get today. something on that one. I took a shot, one. Georgia. I took a shot. <laughs> we turn our focus back to Team USA and Max Homa with golf today. Return. <laughs>Max Ohm was getting a lot of love from a lot of his teammates, the assistant captains, and also his caddy, Joey Griner. Max, you're just taking a deep breath and soaking it all in. When you're standing over a putt of that magnitude, what's going through your mind and body? I don't know. That was that was outer body experience. Um, I will say, you know, two, two nights ago, I, I wanted that opportunity over. I missed it against Rosie, uh, and I wanted the chance again, uh, so... I just told myself, you know, this is what you asked for, so here, here's an opportunity. You had a half point on Friday in a very difficult day for the United States, and you and Brian won both your matches yesterday and then today. Did something flip for you in your first ever Ryder Cup experience, or did you just get comfortable as you made your way through? Yeah, a little bit. I think I just started believing in myself uh, more and more as the week went on. Uh, it's just something I typically struggle with, and I honestly think that I'll take, take what I've learned here uh, with me going further in my career, but I just had so much fun with my team. I love these boys so much, so uh, you just want to do your best and, and give, uh, give the team the best chance they got. One of the things that's amazing to me about professional golfers is your guys' course management. Not everybody would have thought of taking an unplayable there. What went through you and that decision over there to the right of 18 green? Oh, it wasn't me. It was all Joe. Joe's a brain. <laughs> Joe Grinder. Swing, yeah. Joe Grinder's the brains. I just swing it, so he... he it was an awful break. I don't know how it didn't get into the, into the uh, bunker. Um, and I was frustrated. My head was spinning. He said, we're going to take it unplayable. You're going to chip it down to 10 feet, and you're going to make it. Congratulations on that. That was a big-time putt. Thank you very much. What a call from Joe Greiner. And if you had said at the start of the week only one American would have a winning record at the Ryder Cup, Damon, you'd be shocked, surprised. Max Homa, 3-1-1. One, one. He was the lone bright, bright spot in the 44th edition of the Ryder Cup for Team USA as they are unable to overcome that early deficit against the Europeans. Now we have NBC Sports Golf Channel analyst Mark Rolfing joining us on the show here on Golf Today. Rolf, the, the streak continues. If you're the Europeans, they've held serve on home turf dating back to 1993 for the Americans the drought on European soil continues. Looking through the U.S. lens, can you diagnose why, once again, they've come up short? Well, once again, from a big-picture standpoint, George, it's pretty simple. The Europeans played a whole lot better. Uh, you can diagnose it and go into all sorts of details and talk about putting and talk about holding out of shots uh, from the fairway and from the rough. You can talk about pairings. Uh, and all sorts of things like that. But the bottom line is, and all that does need to be fixed, I believe, for the Americans, but the bottom line is uh, the Europeans just played better, and that's becoming a very consistent theme, particularly when they're in Europe. Another consistent theme, uh, Rolf, is that it's very loud, but is the atmosphere too loud? As a viewer, I was entertained. I love seeing the, the hats come off. I love Joe LaCava's response, maybe a step too far. I love Rory's passion on Saturday night. But is the atmosphere, is it too hot? And are they kind of potentially crossing a line? No, I don't think it's too hot at all. Uh, I always loved that part of the Ryder Cup. It's always been part of the Ryder Cup. 
going back to uh, Kiowa Island, which was my first one. Uh, I think the issue right now in terms of the home field advantage is that when you take that crowd, which is almost insurmountable, uh, we, we don't really you know, know how we're going to put a value on what it is. In football, it's maybe three points for a home team. I think there's a bigger home field advantage in the Ryder Cup maybe than any other sport. Uh, but then when you combine that with the ability of the home team to be able to set up the course, to be able to have the course play exactly the way his players want it to and play to their strengths and, and give them more chances to get experience on it, that is just going to magnify the home field advantage more. And I'm a little worried that we're going to get to a point where it's too much and that it just becomes automatic that the home team is going to win. It certainly has been the case uh, recently where, I mean, the home team dating back to 2014 has won each and every Ryder Cup. Can you quantify how much impact does a captain have, Mark? Got tremendous impact. Um, I thought Luke Donald was absolutely spectacular in what he did. He, he kind of determined the entire mana, uh, Hawaiian word that I love, which means spirit. Uh, the spirit of the uh, European team was had his imprints all over it. Uh, remember, he had five months less, really, to get ready for this thing, too. That might have been an advantage in the end. But I thought that um, he did a magnificent job uh, on live from early in the week. Brad Faxon and I spent days and hours rolling out, you know, some things that we thought were going to be really important in terms of decisions that the captain had to make, particularly with the pairings. Um, you know, we all felt strongly that Scotty Scheffler would probably go out in the first match on Friday morning. Um, but I, in particular, felt pretty strongly that that was not a format uh, that Sam Burns, you know, would excel in. Um, I, I really felt like he should have been saved for the afternoon and played best ball with Scotty in the afternoon. But then he played in the morning. That didn't work out. And then he didn't play in the afternoon. And when you start making moves like that, it just starts compounding uh, everything, and you kind of get yourself in a little bit of a trap, and I felt like that's what happened uh, with the U.S. pairings. You know, we got into a situation where Ricky didn't play at all, uh, you know, on the second day. If, if he was ill uh, and, and under the weather, we're still not sure about all that reporting, but if that was the case, I'm not sure why he would have gone out in that first session on Friday morning. That was the most important session. The U.S. could not afford to get very far behind, uh, and they basically put themselves in a position by noon on Friday where, you know, they were in real, real trouble after only four hours. Mark, I imagine the American golf fan on this Monday trying to figure out one big thing. You know, why does this keep happening? But was it maybe just an accumulation of a bunch of, of medium-sized things? The fact that the Europeans play so well in foursomes traditionally on home soil. The fact that only 9 of 12 Americans made the scouting trip while the Europeans played a couple of weeks ago at Wentworth and all 12 played well. Uh, you know, was it just maybe an accumulation of factors for Europe as opposed to one big thing? Yeah, I, I'm with you on that all the way. Uh, you know, certainly Luke Donald's decision to play foursomes uh, in the morning on Friday, uh, as opposed to four ball, was questioned uh, a lot by some of the European uh, golf hierarchy. But I think that move uh, was just another one of those medium-level decisions that had a big impact. Now, the Americans can do the same thing uh, in New York in two months. The question is, is all of that good? where you can do so many things that are going to impact this competition that we're getting it to the point where by Sunday, 
uh, in the last six Ryder Cups on Sunday, the smallest lead has been three, and that's always been for the home team, and the home team has always won. Is that going to maintain the sustainability of what I believe is the most compelling sporting event in golf? I, I don't think it will. So I think it really needs uh, some close scrutiny. If you look at what the Europeans did after Whistling Straits, they basically dismantled their whole model. They, they pretty much tore it down after what happened at Whistling Straits and built it back up. And you were hearing things about, oh, the European cupboard is bare. You know, there are no young players. Well, where did these guys all show up from? They were always there. Um, it, it's just they, they needed a reboot of their system, and they did it, and it worked. And I kind of think the U.S. needs to take a step back and, and really have a total retool of the way they're looking at this thing. Leading into that point then, Mark, I mean, they had the task force after the 2014 Ryder Cup. All these guys have said, oh, the camaraderie was great in the team room. It seems to be such a big emphasis for the Americans to play with someone that they're comfortable with and have guys who get along. Should that be so critical when the ultimate goal is to try and win the Ryder Cup? It should be important, but not critical. Remember, too, George, about the task force, that that was right before Hazeltine. So the first Ryder Cup was going to be on American soil, and the results were clearly going to go America's way, regardless of what they did almost. It was such a strong American team. I'm not sure anything could have changed that result. It was almost the same thing uh, with the Whistling Straits, and there were all these other elements of Europeans not being able to travel their support because of COVID and all sorts of things like that. So the sample size was so small as to whether or not the Ryder Cup task force had actually worked. But where it wasn't applied and needs to be applied was to an away game and coming up with what are we really going to do to compete on an away game. And if you start stacking up home field advantage and the ability to set up the course and the ability to do all these things, it just creates a tremendous advantage that frankly may not be overcomable whether you're the European team on American soil or the American team on European soil. A great point you make, Mark. Jordan Spieth said a couple of years ago after whistling straights that the work of the task force not truly complete until the Americans win on foreign soil. Mark, your love and insight in the Ryder Cup is unmatched. Thanks so much for the time. All right. Thanks, guys. Golf Today rolls on. We continue to wrap up this year's Ryder Cup in Italy with the Europeans taking back the cup. We're already looking ahead to the 2025 Ryder Cup at Bethpage. So is Rory McIlroy already calling his shot two years out. Stay tuned. Back on Golf Today, results of the last five Ryder Cups. Home team has won them all by pretty wide margins. Home cooking, loud crowd, comfort, and ultimately victory. Here's Captain Zach on the path forward to winning on the road. I don't think any changes need to be made as far as um, the ability to do this or that or the other, depending upon who's hosting it. I think. I think it's the beauty of the cup. I mean, I really do. I don't think I don't think it's anything too complex. I think um, there's so many nuances and characteristics of what this tournament's all about that it'd be a shame to change anything. Playing on foreign soil, I mean, I I, I wouldn't have it any other way as the as the leader. That's that's the way I'm wired. I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I love playing in front of our fans, I know these guys would probably say the same thing. I know they'd say the same thing. 
Uh, but there's something special about coming over here and having to fight because it's harder. Um, and I like, I like the fight and I like the heart. So I wouldn't change anything. We just saw the previous five results. Let's spin it to the next five. Four have been announced. We got Beth Page Black in 2025, Adair Manor 27, and we go back to Hazeltine, the site of the 2016 Ryder Cup in 2029, 2031 yet to be announced. And this would be a cool one, the Olympic Club Lake Course in San Francisco with the 2033 Ryder Cup. So Rory McIlroy, Asked about the, the difficulty, you know, of winning on the road and spinning it ahead to 2025 at Bethpage. Not to take anything away from what you guys accomplished today, but eight of the last nine winners have been the home team. Is, is there too much to home field advantage? So I've, I've said this for the last probably six or seven years to anyone that will listen. I think one of the biggest accomplishments in golf right now is winning an away Ryder Cup. And that's what we're going to do at Bethpage. All the Europeans there on the desk smashing yeah. it. Yeah, Rory, Peroni's in hand. We bring that. the hammer to New York. You're going to need it, Rory. And, and that's the beauty. And I think that Zach and, and Rory, Jordan Spieth has voiced this. Winning on the road would be a gigantic achievement. But let the Europeans know what they are getting into. Long Island, I used to write for a newspaper there. It is a strange brew, socioeconomic diversity, loud fans, Jets, Mets, Islanders, Knicks, a few Yankees and Giants fans sprinkled it as well. I was there in 2002 when Tiger got it done. I was there in 09 when Lucas Glover got it done in the U.S. Open. It is a public state park golf course and the ethos of the area. You got some tough hombres from Syosset and Hicksville and Wontaw and Massapequa. Kenny, you know what I'm talking about. Our set director is laughing in the corner because he knows of what I speak. To, to see... The Europeans climb that mountain at Bethpage, it's going to take the strongest of stuff. Because as you know, a New York crowd, there's nothing like it. When you look at Ryder Cup venues and say since 2000 and, and going back and then even seeing the ones in the future, you get all the hype around a, a New York crowd. Just how tough it is as a road team either playing at the Yankees, at the Giants. We even saw the Chiefs at the Jets last night Sunday night football over on NBC once you're in this area yes it just hits differently when you're the road team coming in I think that's got to be one of the most challenging or hostile road environments for anyone yeah. to come in for the Europeans to come to yeah. Bethpage so if they can follow through on Rory's prediction look at Joe Namath prediction if we could just keep the analogy going the prediction, yes calling a shot Absolutely. Then that, to me, would be one of the most impressive Ryder Cup victories that we've seen. And you, we've seen amazing comebacks, Medina in 2012. Yeah. The, the U.S. team in, in 1999. But for a road team to go in an environment like that, and if they can end that, that drought of road teams, period, yeah. winning since 2012 in the Ryder Cup, it, it might be the most meaningful victory that these guys have in their career. It would set the alarms for the United States Ryder Cup franchise. It would tell us a lot of things if the Europeans got it done. It would tell you that 
Aubert has become this A1 star that he's predicted to be, and that maybe Nikolai has his twin brother Rasmus on board as well, and that the, the Rams and the Rorys and the Lowrys and the Fleetwoods are aging gracefully like a Brunello, a De Montalcino. That, a lot will have to happen. We'll be fascinating to see if Luke Donald is asked back. Who should be the United States Ryder Cup captain? Should it be the aforementioned Tiger Woods who won a national championship on Beth Page Black 21 years ago. How good would that be? Uh, Tiger. You imagine? I'm you better bring. You better bring your best. I mean, you know, no time to monkey around. I mean, if it's, if this is of desperate importance, of defending home soil and winning a Ryder Cup, why wouldn't you? Not, why would you not have Tiger Woods on that property in some form or fashion to help the American side? Take back the cup. The big question with, with the Europeans now, I mean, you had all those guys go to live. Who's next after Luke Donald? Does, do they make it two in a row? Luke just won. Yeah. You have another guy who's previously mm. been a captain. Is there a name not necessarily on our radar where that they, like Paul McGinley, wasn't necessarily at the forefront of a lot of people's yeah. minds in 2014, a wildly successful captain with, with what we saw at Glen Eagles. So uh, but now. We get to speculate because that, well, that's two years uh, of hype. We got to build it up to Beth Page. Is there hype before Ryder Cup? <laughs> I'm up to oh, I love it. I love the hype. Bring on the hype. 2025 can't get here soon enough.